Thursday, August 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Mr. Ron Gross. Good to have you here. Good to be here. I didn't. I didn't know we'd be on video, or I would have. I would have <laughs> shaved. I, you know, I, I did. And in fairness, and maybe I, put on a nicer shirt. I didn't tell you that the, these get videotaped now and thrown up on YouTube. So uh, <laughs> you know, for, for the tens of people watching on YouTube, Ron cleans up nicer than he looks right now. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But Appreciate but that. you are one of those people I was thinking of when last Thursday I was in here with Bill Barker and I said, "Hey, we're pre-taping episodes to run this whole week, and we got some special guests." Some people who don't normally show up on the market floor, and you are one of them. I'm obviously. happy to be here. Um, uh, one programming note, uh, which is that we're not going to be here at all next week. Uh, we're taking the whole last week of August off. It is our gift to you. Take a little, take a little break. I hope everyone listening gets a little bit of a break, or has maybe already gotten one this summer. Now, the whole, the whole company isn't taking a break. You made it sound like no, the, no, the, the Motley Fool will no, not I, be here. I won't be here. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, there, and Market Foolery won't be here. But we'll be back on uh, Tuesday, September second. Uh, but uh, as longtime listeners of the Motley Fool Money Radio Show know. Uh, you run Million Dollar Portfolio. Uh, you also run our MDP Deep Value Service. You're a value guy at heart. And I'm curious about deep value investing. But let's, let's talk just h- how do you define, how do you view value investing? Because I get the sense yeah. that even within the world of value investing, there are people who look at it a little differently. How do you look at it? I think that's fair. I think there's some over overarching, overriding concepts that most value investors probably can get on board with. And I think the the most fund- fundamental of those are that uh, value investing is based on the concept that you're looking to buy a company, buy a stock, um, at a price um, that where it is cheaper than what you think that company is actually worth. You're looking for a bargain. Um, then what you think it is worth today. What you think it is worth today, and, and that can also mean a lot of things. We could almost teach a whole MBA class on what that means, because that's typically a present value concept. Well, but, let's save that for another time. We'll save time. that for another time. We don't want to bore people. But what we think um, it is worth today, and we're trying to buy it for less than that, um, which makes perfect sense. You wouldn't want to buy something for more than you think it's worth. Um, in a very real sense, um, you could say all investing is value investing because you're not looking to overpay for something. But value investors are really focused on that on that value, often called intrinsic value in the in, in the value investing world, and estimating what we think something is worth. And there's many ways to do that. And then comparing it to a stock price. Does that mean you miss out on stocks? Because I mean, obviously, we all miss out on stocks. But I, I'm curious, how often do you run into a situation where you're waiting for a stock to get to a particular price, or do you not wait for that? Well, you, I know you wait for at least a range. You're absolutely right that it causes us to miss out on stocks. And I will say, in deep value investing, where we're looking for really cheap stocks, it causes us to miss out on lots and lots of opportunities. But uh, value investors are okay with that. I think that the most famous example of that is Warren Buffett, whose who's stock last week uh, hit uh, went over $200,000, the A stock, for the first time. Um, he's famous for, for staying away from technology. Um, he says it's because he doesn't understand it. I think he's being a little bit humble there. I think it's really that he can't value those companies well because their futures are too uncertain for him. And therefore, he's missed a ton of amazing companies that went to quadruple, five, six, ten times go up in value. 
And I think he sleeps just fine at night in the knowledge that he's let those go because what is the alternative for him? It's investing in something that he doesn't know or doesn't understand and can't predict, and for him that would be a mistake. So what pushes something into the category of not being a value stock but a deep value stock? So at deep value, we're looking for, as I said, real, real cheap. So not just a company that is selling for less than we think it's worth, but something that is selling for significantly less. Do you put a number on it? Um, typically, we look for something that is perhaps 30 or 40 percent um, undervalued. Um, the concept of margin of safety is pervasive throughout value investing, and that kind of the, that that phrase is it's the difference between what you think it's worth and what the stock is selling for right now. It's that difference, and that difference represents a, a big part of what your upside would be because um, you're buying something at a discount. But it also represents your protection because that's why it's called margin of safety. Because if you got get it wrong, if your valuation analysis is just dead wrong, you're building in a buffer. So where you will not lose money, you will not have a permanent loss of capital, which is what the, the definition of risk for most value investors. Um, so deep value, we're looking for really cheap. And that means stocks, specifically to our deep value service here at The Motley Fool, stocks that have no future growth baked into um, their cash flow, even though a company may be growing, but for some reason um, the rest of the world doesn't believe it. Companies that are perhaps trading um, at a discount to their net asset value. We focus on balance sheets quite a bit, not just the income statement or the cash flow statement. Um, and they've got to be have strong balance sheets, companies we can understand, and companies we can predict with fa fairly good certainty. These seem like they would be somewhat at odds with one another, because if a company has a really strong balance sheet, and presumably they have some management that you have a level of trust in, then what is the stock doing down 40% from where it should be? That's a good question, actually. Thanks. Um, <laughs> way to go. So I think, uh, first you have to... It, it, it's dependent on the waters that you're fishing in. And it's easiest to find deep value opportunities when you look at small or even micro cap stocks. Um, these are uh, companies that are just not widely followed by, by the broader market, certainly not followed by the typical Wall Street research analysts. They're just too small. Mutual funds, institutional investors, for the most part, stay away from them because you can't accumulate enough stock to make it worth your while. And as a result, inefficiencies crop up in that side of the market. Now, you would think over the years with all the micro cap and small cap and value mutual funds that those inefficiencies would somehow have closed. Um, you would think that would happen, but in, in my experience, it actually has not. It's perhaps closed a little, but the, the opportunities are still there. So we're looking for comp at companies that nobody else really cares about. Um, but also the other piece of the puzzle is that something lately is not going right. Um, so a company can have a great balance sheet and could have grown at least somewhat nicely in the past, but right now there's a hiccup, there's a problem. Uh, that's where the analysis comes in, where you have to see, do you believe that that's a temporary problem, or if it will it persist into the future? And that's where you get, can get the difference between a value and a value trap. Um, because if you, if you buy something at a discount that is going to just deteriorate, uh, that's certainly something we want to stay away from. So let's get specific with some companies here. What what are a couple of companies right now that you look at and you say, yeah, that's a deep value opportunity, and it may not work out well, 
but it meets the criteria as we've laid them out. Sure, and may not work out well is interesting because I find if, if you do it right and you don't lighten up on your criteria, the vast majority, 80% or more, will work out. Um, I can't speak to what your actual rate of return will be, but you will have a profitable outcome. Um, but you got have to stay true to, to that the value investing criteria. So in this market that uh, is at all-time highs, right. um, it's not really very easy to find good deep value opportunities. Um, in the deep value portfolio, I would love to have 10 right now if, if I could, and we only have seven, and I'm desperately looking for one, two, or three more, but it's not hard, not easy to find. Uh, we like um, a company, Titan International is a good example, ticker symbol TWI, a maker of industrial tires, really large tires for agricultural uh, mining companies, industrial uses. That's a company selling, it's a $750 million market cap, stocks around 14 I think it's worth $25. And what, what's going on now is it's a cyclical industry. Right now there's kind of, there's too big a surplus of tires in the mining and agricultural industries, so sales and, and cash flow are depressed. But that won't persist forever. Um, eventually, the, this company will start selling tires again. Cash flow will rebound, and the stock will, will, will should at least follow suit. Um, another example would be a company called Lydell, in, Lydell Industries, which is LDL. We won't get into too much about what they do, but they make thermal, acoustic, and filtration devices for both automotive um, applications as well as medical applica applications. Um, the company just underfollowed. No one's ever heard of it. I, d I defy you to find a, co <laughs> a, a person that's heard of this $470 million market cap company. But yet um, they do a great job. They just made a, a company transforming acquisition. Uh, cash flow is strong. Balance sheet is strong. One day someone will wake up and realize um, that this is an opportunity. And, and actually that's an important thing we should mention is that patience is an absolute requirement for value investing. Um, some value investors focus on catalysts, will only invest in companies where a near-term catalyst um, is, is uh, easily discernible. Uh, we think value is its own catalyst, as long as you're patient. Um, but the good thing is that eventually people see the value and activist investors come in, these companies get acquired. Um, the value is eventually realized for those that are patient. I want to get to activists and investors for a second, but you've touched on something a couple of times that I think is worth highlighting a little more, and that is this idea of lack of coverage and what that means for individual investors like you and me and anybody listening, because it really is one of the um, maybe easiest to overlook stories of, I would say, the last five years on Wall Street is how methodically the number of analysts at Wall Street firms, th that talent pool has diminished as Wall Street firms have cut jobs, and therefore how coverage has diminished. And so the number of not just the number of analysts covering stocks has gone down, but the number of stocks getting coverage has gone down. And so now there are literally thousands of stocks that maybe have one Wall Street analyst covering, but a lot of them, there's no one covering them. And I have to believe that even against the backdrop of a rising market like we've had the last 18, 24 months, that that does present an opportunity for investors. It should. Dissemination of, of, of information in general causes markets to be more efficient than not. Um, the internet, of course, has, has, has created just a flood of information and has theoretically made um, it more readily available, available to investors, which, which makes the market more efficient as well. However, um, there's enough out there, and there's enough companies, as you say, that aren't being looked at, aren't followed. Uh, 
we can't when we look at analysts that cover stocks we can't forget about all the mutual fund and hedge fund analysts that are out there that are doing their own work it's just not visible because they're not these sell side in quotes analysts right. they're not putting, that out, are putting out research reports yep. but there's still a ton of capital that are looking at these individual companies even if there aren't those research reports being published uh, tim hansen has made the point a couple of times that uh, there are a few things he loves hearing more uh, when he's uh, calling a company than when someone at the company says, wow, this you're the first analyst to ever call us. Love it's that. Like, Great. Love, Love that. to hear that. Um, I, I'm going to close with a question that I asked uh, James Early the other day, and that is, um, stepping back from value investing, you're someone who looks at the market every day, every week. We're past the halfway point of 2014. What are some of the things that you're looking for over the last few months of this year, whether it's uh, you know, we've got some big things coming, right? We've got the end of the bond buying program. We've got individual companies that are coming out with their various announcements. There, there are certainly things on the horizon. But I'm curious what you're watching, whether it's a company or an industry. I'm, I'm tending to focus because I'm not finding a lot of value opportunities. So I'm, I'm looking for companies, especially in million dollar portfolio, um, that have have some nice growth going forward. And that causes me to keep an eye on the economy, um, just perhaps a little bit more than I would, especially in this environment where stocks are not really that cheap. So we saw some good growth, um, uh, some GDP growth. I'm, I'm hoping that continues. Rising interest rates have to be in our future. There's just no way around that. I'm, I'm always wondering what that means for both my valuation models, but but what, what it's going to mean for the market as a whole. Um, and so I, I'm tending to look um, not for deep value. There I'm going to stay in cash and be patient. But on, on the other side, a million-dollar portfolio, I'm looking for companies that have nice growth, nice sustainability, nice competitive advantage, and can continue to grab market share from other companies. I forgot. I said we were going to get back to activists. I do uh -huh. want yes. to get back to that. Please. Because I, you used to be an activist investor when back in your hedge fund days. Yeah. In deep value investing, is that is that something you're rooting for? Is that something you're obviously? I'm assuming once you have bought a stock that you think is a deep value stock, if one of the catalysts that you've baked into your uh, scenario is an activist coming in, then yeah, you are hoping for that. So it's never. I don't. I'm not a catalyst type of value investor. I, I as I said, I think value is its own catalyst. Eventually, value will be realized. Uh, but as long as I'm finished accumulating my position, I'm typically happy to see an activist investor comes in because that will hopefully end up um, in increasing shareholder value. It depends on who the activist is. It depends what their motives are. I prefer the, the activists um, that want to get on the board, want to help a company grow for the long term, not ones that are these quick hit guys that come in and then dump their stock after they've made a quick 10, 15, 20 percent. Um, but in, in, in general, overall, usually an activist coming in is good for our stocks. Ron Gross, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Sell. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the last week of August. We will see you on Tuesday, September 2nd.